0: Welcome, everybody, to this week's Somerset Emotional Wellbeing
1: Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Tresedo, working for Somerset CCG, and my colleague is Peter Bagshaw, GP and Mental Health Lead for Somerset CCG.
0: And uh, it's an important time for self-care, and our topic uh, in the
1: context of Self Care Week, but actually for always, is health and self-care. And Andrew, I know this is something that you've got a particular interest in, as in general, I think uh, GPs are really bad at following their own advice on looking after themselves, and, and generally our, our way of self-caring is just to plough on through, but, but you've actually taken a particular interest in it and are helping colleagues and other people with self-care. Would you like to introduce us to, to how you got to where you are? Thank you. You're
0: Thank you for that, Peter. Um, it's entirely selfish in some ways, um, and it's involved a long journey over many years, I suppose to give a bit of context, um, as doctors, as health professionals, all health professionals, we're highly trained, we're um, intelligent, we do our best, we're trained in car crashes and not the avoidance of car crashes. To avoid a car crash, you need to drive sensibly, um, refuel your vehicle and maintain it well, use good navigation and have road design. And unfortunately, most of us are not taught very much about that at medical school. We're taught about what to do when the car has crashed. I don't know what your experience has been, Peter.
1: I agree. And I've become very interested uh, in metabolic health and uh, self-care for my patients in a physical sense, uh, as well as for us as individuals. And it, it does seem as though, as you say, we're, we're very much trained in what to me is sticking plaster medicine, whereas actually if we can get ourselves and our patients to look after themselves physically and mentally, we'd prevent an awful lot of the problems that, that you and I see in surgery.
0: Um, one would hope so. I mean, the sticking plasters that we've got are fantastic, so we can clear blocked coronary arteries, we can replace joints that have become diseased, and we can do all sorts of amazing things. Um, but keeping well and keeping healthy is very much an upstream thing. And I don't know about you, um, Peter, but most of us, there's a sort of a subconscious um, tendency to take our health for granted.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, I think certainly I, I had this sort of slightly mad idea that the illness was somehow something that happened to other people called patients, and and that I was immune to it and it's it's only fairly recently I've discovered that that's not the case. Um, So I think we're very good at ignoring things and sticking our head in the sand, aren't we? We
0: we are and sometimes it's a personal experience that actually helps us to understand and so I I trained in medicine at Guy's Hospital in London, uh, uh, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed junior doctor, houseman, um, working the interesting and quite long hours that we worked in those days Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's no slight on the very intense work that's done by colleagues these days, junior doctors who work extraordinarily hard in the hours that they're there and, and long hours and may have long commutes and things as well. And um, happily married, uh, newly married, um, working a, quite a busy job um, in pool, it ha- as it happens, doing um, um, children's medicine, paediatrics. I, I got mumps. And, you know, we tend to think, well, mumps is something children get over. And uh, I'm old enough to have had measles and chicken pox as a small child. And uh, I didn't have rubella, but uh, had, had the others. And as a small child, you tend to get over them. A virus as an adult, particularly as a fatigued, tired adult, can be interestingly different. And I thought I'd get over it quickly, but actually I ended up with three months off work and and... And then that took me on a journey of health, because when I did go back to work, I started getting headaches, and the headaches were every day at 12 noon when I started my new job, which was in Cruecombe in as a GP registrar. And that, that's a very curious time course. Uh, there was an interesting book in the, in the library, the patient's library, called Not All in the Mind, uh, which talked about food intolerances. And I tracked down that my headaches were due to coffee, tea, chocolate, and cheese, uh, but Really, the the 12 o'clock headaches were due to 11 o'clock strong coffee, which was a sort of interesting cause and effect. And having become interested in one aspect of health that I hadn't been taught about, I I find myself becoming interested in in many other aspects of health. Although we learned physiology at medical school, that didn't really teach us uh, deeply about health. And a definition I've found of health that's quite useful is harmony of mind, body and spirit. It's, it's when we're well, when we're functioning optimally in all domains of our life. And I think it's something that you can learn a bit about from books, but you probably learn often as human beings the hard way by mortgaging your health and then finding that actually you can't last two nights running without sleep. You can't even last one night running without sleep. We need sleep we need hydration, we need various other things.
1: Absolutely, and, and things that maybe we could get away with, uh, lack of sleep, heavy drinking or whatever in our, our 20s. Um, as time passes, these these habits catch up with you, don't they? And uh, I don't know about you, I, I was very much taught the, the standard model of medicine where it's all about drugs and medicine and surgery and so on, um, and have felt that the lifestyle elements were fairly by the by and it's only in latter years that I realize how fundamental uh, those sort of habits that you're describing uh, really are to, to health.
0: They, they are so medicine is great modern medicine is great at solutions for acute problems it's good at um, dealing with specific weeds in the garden but it's not necessarily focused on making the whole garden healthy long-term or making sure it faces the right direction for the weather that it's that it's well manured for instance it's well well nourished and so we have to think for for our own health and self-care what are the what are the important preconditions what makes the body healthy um and so what what things do you think makes make a body healthy
1: i think an awful lot of it is is things that we discussed in previous podcasts so uh exercise good nutrition um peer support social interactions keeping positive being with nature those sort of things and and i've been particularly interested uh in the effect of of diet and exercise uh, because a lot of the things that we currently think of as being degenerative inevitable degenerative diseases like dementia osteoarthritis and various other things actually are modifiable dementia for instance about a third of cases can be prevented with good lifestyle. So this isn't some minor little by-the-by small print stuff. It's really important. What would your list of important things be, Andrew?
0: So I think that avoiding poisons that we don't need or that we can avoid easily. So um, unfortunately, um, cigarettes and other substances, um, I've got no objection to the ritual of smoking because we've all seen people under pressure at traffic lights and elsewhere, fiddling with their faces. Uh, I think we, the reason adults smoke is very interesting. It's because we're too old to suck our thumbs. And the reason why we suck our thumbs is because when we're nurtured by our mothers, it's a deeply relaxing situation when we're just um, sucking or chewing. And um, The problem comes when the bonfire smoke enters us. So avoiding poisons, and, and unfortunately alcohol is a bit of a poison to the system. Um, artificial additives are designed very often to make a food that would have otherwise rotted look nice or taste nice or smell nice or or not not um, not change so the more f- food that we can have from fresh or, or good frozen vegetables the better um, and and a good variety of of food and probably we've got the balance wrong over the last 50 years by emphasizing carbohydrates uh, it seems that a heavy carbohydrate load for the body is actually quite quite a challenge on it whereas if we make sure that we have a reasonable amount of protein and some fats as well and vegetables then then that's a good situation by fats i I don't mean the artificial ones the uh, i mean the
1: the the more natural ones the butters and the the animal fats and some of the oils particularly olive oil and i agree and it's very complicated because we've tended to emphasize carbohydrates because of the health message of the 1960s that demonized saturated fat in particular. Now, there's a lot of um, debate about whether that actually is, is correct or not. Um, and perhaps we shouldn't get into the minutiae of things. But I agree that whatever the debates about uh, what proportion we should have of each from everything, taking natural food, unprocessed food, is always a good idea. I don't know if you want to dip your toe into the rather murky waters of uh, of this debate or not, Andrew.
0: Well, it's quite a, it's quite a, a challenging one, and um, cultures around the world will will have different views, uh, both in time and and in place. But if you can see where it comes from, and it's quite obvious, then it's and you can identify where it's come from in its, its natural state. Then it's it's probably better for you than something that's very difficult to identify where it might have come from. Um, And of course, you know here we are in in Somerset and we're lucky as we travel around to see cows and to see sheep and to see crops growing in the field and and so many of us in in society now live in cities and we don't necessarily see where food comes so we've lost that relationship and that that love of the land and fortunately there's a great there's a great um, movement these days for allotments and for people growing a few vegetables or maybe having a tree uh, a fruit tree of some sort and and I think Respect for food, respect for nature and where food comes from is, is is part of helping ourselves. And that doesn't have to be expensive. That can be really quite inexpensive.
1: Absolutely. And it it, it really is a bit of a minefield uh, with, with lots of debate about what's good and what's bad. And that seems to change from month to month. But as a rule of thumb, if when you look at a packet of food, it's got more than about five ingredients, it's going to be ultra processed and probably not great for you. Uh, and probably partially digested as well.
0: It's, it's been preserved. It's been preserved in order to stop it um, going off and to have a decent long shelf life. In a, some ways, we ought to be eating foods with short shelf life because they're fresher and better. But uh, I think this debate could run on for a long time. So, so there are other aspects of self-care. And I suppose the most important one um, I'd, I'd like to sort of think about is, is the basics of what helps a mammal because we have mammalian bodies to function well, and that means good quality sleep. Ideally, seven to seven to eight hours uh, a night, and if possible, in uninterrupted. And those of a, there are those of us who are older who may need to be interrupted for for a, a bathroom in the middle of the night. And of course, there will there'll be listeners who've got small children who are thinking what seven to eight hours interrupted? I could I could dream of that, and that would be wonderful. Um, but our organisms are designed to be asleep in darkness um, for at least seven to eight hours and we refresh that way and that gives the body repair time, refreshment time and the batteries are recharged phenomenally and it also matters when that seven to eight hours is. Now some of us are larks and some of us are owls but biologically if we get to sleep well before midnight we produce more melatonin and the sleep is more refreshing and we wake up generally in a better state than if we've had that seven or eight hours, but we haven't started till three in the morning or two in the morning.
1: And there are interesting uh, neuronal growth factors, aren't there, that are produced uh, during sleep that that help our bodies to recover. Um, But it's easier said than done, isn't it? And a lot of us struggle uh, with sleep particularly if we feel stressed or anxious because that can interrupt us, our sleep. So what tips would you give for getting off to sleep? Are you a fan of the, the sleep hygiene model?
0: Absolutely. I think our bodies respond to rhythm and routine. So uh, avoiding caffeinated drinks later in the day um, helps because otherwise you're going to bed with the brain stimulated by, by caffeine, which is similar to adrenaline. Um, Alcohol is interesting because alcohol has a firstly a depressant effect, which may help us get to sleep, but unfortunately, um, it then has an alerting effect, or the body produces glutamate, and so we can wake up or have a very fitful sleep. So many people say they sleep and feel better without alcohol. Bedtime routine important, Uh, avoiding screen times and that blue light for an hour before bedtime. Many of us might have bathed our children when they were small and uh, the body seems to respond to that change in temperature and then going to bed uh, because it's a drop in temperature of the body that seems to um, catalyse the onset of sleep, amongst other triggers. Um, Reading is probably better than um, doing a stimulating um, puzzle or, 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 or gaming. Um, and I suppose the most important thing is listen to your mind and listen to your own body and and work out what helps you feel more relaxed. I mean, it might be that certain aromatherapy oils help you feel better. Lavender was used for hundreds of years in people's pillows to to help them, but listen to your own body, get in touch with your own body, ask it what it wants, listen to what it wants and, and work out what goes well. Um, and of course we can have occasional treats or we can have occasional late nights or excitements but the body does crave rhythm and routine
1: and as gps we often have people come into us requesting again the sticking plaster approach the the sleeping tablet now i don't know what your feeling is about using those i i would always try and keep their use to a minimum and very short term because of all the the long-term effects
0: absolutely and to break a cycle and it's there is a a faith that people have in in, in how we can help and most of us um, would would rather have a quick answer from a pill rather than than change habits and and sometimes we don't know what we're causing uh, with some of the habits we have, I'm remembering a a lady in her 30s who came in to me one day and begging for a sleeping tablet because she just couldn't get to sleep and she said she was couldn't get to sleep till about 4 o'clock in the morning and she had to get up at 7 in order to to, take her, to get her children ready for school and to sort out the family. And I felt great sympathy with her as she'd had a serious illness. Uh, and I just asked her about her habits and she didn't drink any water and she didn't drink any tea and she drank between 17 and 20 cups of coffee through the day. Um, and that was why she wasn't sleeping. It was entirely that.
1: And I certainly see that as well with, with people, say, who are long-distance lorry drivers who who use a lot of these so-called energy drinks or energy pills, which have massive amounts of caffeine. What do you think about the the old-fashioned things like counting to 100? Or I, I know some people sort of play word games in their mind uh, to distract them. Do you, th- do you think that works?
0: Uh, there are many ways of achieving relaxation, and the mind works um, on ritual and repetition. I, I think they work for some people. And... The challenge is to find what works for us but once we've achieved our sleep and we've had a good night's sleep we then get to the daytime do we look after our bodies during the daytime do we have enough fluids and many of us are a bit dehydrated or quite dehydrated at times during the day do we move our bodies enough we've got muscles they're designed to move they're not designed to sit for long periods of time do we have a day off each week um, do we have a day when we 're not working or doing our usual things a holy day or a holiday where our body senses the change in routine and and recognizes the importance of rest and thinking about rest just reminding ourselves of the body 's the mammalian body 's autonomic nervous system we have two main engine management systems, and the major one which keeps us well and healthy long term is the parasympathetic which is rest, digest, chill and repair. And then we have a danger, a sort of a red light um, fire alarm system which is called the sympathetic which has nothing to do with sympathy which is alert, 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 danger, 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 Um, adrenaline, um, excitement and fear and ability to deal with danger, fight or flight. Um, And unfortunately, our body's response to many, many stimuli in life is to go on to adrenaline. Um, And the problem with that is that that gives us short-term energy, but it's disastrous long-term to have the red lights flashing all the time in the system because it gives the system absolutely no rest. And when we are in that state of stress and distress, All sorts of uh, things happen which make us able to cope with emergencies, but our our thinking changes, we become target-focused, we become driven, we become irritable sometimes, Uh, we can easily get frustrated, we miss the big picture, um, and we breathe rapidly, shallowly, and upper chest, so rapid, shallow, upper chest, chaotic breathing. Now, if you want to get out of that state, And go back to parasympathetic. And if you're driving a car at this moment or managing heavy machinery, please don't participate in this exercise. But I would invite you uh, to just put your feet flat on the floor to allow your spine to be comfortable and to take three or four regular, rhythmic, calm, deep abdominal breaths. And what happens is that you have reset your system onto parasympathetic calm. So resetting the system is as easy as three or four breaths. And, and that can work whether you're sitting or whether you're trying to go to sleep in bed um, and you, you asked about um, counting sheep and some people do word games, such as naming as many vegetables as you can, one at a time, or remembering England footballers. I'm trying to remember which year was it we, we won the uh, World Cup 1966. 66, absolutely. I had a stamp that had World Cup winners on it, one of the special ones um, all those years ago. Um, so... Putting ourselves on parasympathetic as frequently as we can in the day is allowing our organism, our body, uh, the ability to put itself on to repair, rest, relax and
1: chill. And before uh, you... Went ran through that uh, exercise, which we've now done enough podcasts that I can I can begin to recognise it uh, as it's emerging. <laughs> <Indeed. laughs> and it's very good to repeat these things, and really worth trying. You mentioned the the importance of keeping work and leisure separate, and of course that's really difficult in current times. We we tend to work from home. We're answering we can answer emails on our smartphones day or night. Leisure bleeds into work, and vice versa. Um, so, do you think it's important to try and separate those things and have routines, Peter? It's
0: really more important than ever to have routines and to have rituals uh, and to and to have that ability to make boundaries and separation. So, it might be that um, when you're working, which may be in your living space, so you, you know you're, it'll be a leisure as well as as workspace. Maybe you wear a different different jumper or different top or um, you know, if you're a doctor you take off the metaphorical white coat when you're stopping working and that that would mat- that would work for for anyone in any professional or any other um role of, of home working have a have a a way in which you signal to your body whether it's by something on your desk by it's turning the, the, the clock in your direction by um by wearing particular clothes or by, by um, facing a particular direction. Have a, a signal that tells you that you're at work and then have a boundary that says you're not at work because it's so easy to keep going on with tasks that are in front of you and to do a bit more work and a, and a bit more work. And, and then what happens is that, We become addicted to the work and it's actually difficult to stop. And so we take a break for lunch and we don't take an hour. We don't take a half hour. We think, well, actually, I'll eat my sandwich at my computer and do a bit more. Well, our efficiency has tailed right off. Uh, We need regular breaks. We need that change in gear. We need a quick change in role uh, in order to address the needs of our body and our mind to do something different.
1: And I've seen research that people who are engaged in activities when they're also looking at their mobile phones say, um, do, don't attend to what they're viewing and don't remember it and don't take it in. So being in the moment and and actually sometimes having time away from our phones or our laptops, I think is is really important.
0: Absolutely, maybe putting your work phone away and certainly putting your lap, your work laptop away uh, that's more difficult if your work t- laptop is your home laptop, but it's really important to somehow discipline ourselves to um, have boundaries between work and 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 relaxation time. And I suppose there's a seductive problem in life of of screens that so many of us use our mobile phones or or. Um, uh, maybe our laptops for, for social networking. So that's actually, screen time is leisure time, but it's the same screen we're working on. And so the mind may not notice the separation. And there is also something about the aggregate number of hours that we're spending in front of screens. Um, they, they used to say that television was the way to hypnotise people. And certainly you can put small children uh, in front of them and uh, and then leave them for a good long time. and as adults of course we think we're immune to that, I think you know we, we can use them um, uh, so that we're in control. Actually it's not as easy to be in control of the screen as we think because we all love stories, we all love watching television dramas or, or particular favourite programmes. Uh, the visual images on our phones and elsewhere are not designed to be boring and they're not designed to um, make us think, oh, I'm not gonna watch that anymore, I'll, I'll go and have a walk in the garden or I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go out down the street or I'll, I'll do something else or I'll, 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 I'll do a, a hobby with my hands. They're keeping us in our heads away from, away from reality in some ways. Um, we're in a different world. And so we have a body and we owe it to that body to be back in the body to pay attention to our breath, to exercise our muscles, to go for walks, to enjoy the natural world that that we're privileged to be quite close to in Somerset. But wherever we are in the country, we can find nature uh, and exercise our muscles
1: and and have a relationship other than than just a a work-focused one. Podcasts, of course, are exempt from this, but uh, I'd like, as we're coming to the end, just to return to stressing the real importance of of what you've been saying, that this chronic sympathetic uh, overdrive that a lot of us have isn't just something that makes us more anxious and has uh, mental health effects. It has real physical effects as well, doesn't it? It depresses our immune system. It increases our risk of high blood pressure and heart attacks. Uh, it, It makes us more vulnerable even to viral infections and cancers and things like that. So this isn't just some airy-fairy peripheral thing this is really central to good health do you agree
0: absolutely it's central to uh being healthy is to avoid the things that take away from health and our immune system and good function stops us degenerating and too much stress on the organism uh without the maintenance and repair is like driving a vehicle and never bothering to service it check the tire pressures and um, put any fuel in or uh or check the oil levels. A breakdown is inevitable much sooner than it need have been.
1: And a lot of people, I think, rely on health checks to protect them from disease. But continuing your analogy, uh, if you were to have uh, an M.O.T. every month, but put diesel in your petrol car, it's still not going to do well.
0: So- <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, I did that the other <laughs> way. I did that the other way Ryan once, and I felt quite a Charlie. But anyway, that's a, that's a, that's another story. Um, it is indeed, as you said at the start, a topic I've been fascinated by, and I've been privileged to um, share it with with many colleagues. Uh, not just physical health but psychological health is is really important as well and we've put together out of all our teaching a number of us have put together a, a book which is a free download from the web uh, it contains a whole load of material on physical health psychological health and and other aspects and essentially it's it's what we wished we'd learned 30 years ago or we have learned over the last 30 years that we wish we'd learned a lot earlier uh, it's called health and self-care in a balance for an effective life for professionals it's for everyone it's a free download from www.healthandself.care. So it comes from healthandself.care. There's also lots of other material on the web about um, health and self-care. If you go to mind.org.uk and search for self-care, there's some interesting material there. I think the selfcareforum.org um, events has has a lot of material, and of course, there's our old friend, the five ways to well being. Um, and what are those five ways? Can you remember, oh Peter? Let's, let's see how many of them we no, can no, get into. No, in no,
1: no. no, no, you're the expert on this. Um, address.
0: so it's um, take notice, uh, be active, uh, give, uh, and I've forgotten the other two, move, and what was the other one? Um, mm-hmm five ways to wellbeing.org and forgive the uh, presenter not having done his research properly on this one.
1: (laughs) Well, I thoroughly recommend your book. I've read it and it's fantastic. And uh, I I think that's a a great place to finish. And I I hope people have found some value from, from these tips
0: thank you very much the last one is keep learning of the five ways to well-being David thank you very much for sharing that with us keep learning and life is a journey of learning so what a shame to close our eyes and uh, and forget to put fuel in the tank and forget to maintain the vehicle so it's uh,
1: good to do that but let's make sure it's the right fuel absolutely thank you Peter bye you've been listening to the Somerset emotional well-being podcast hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresida and Dr. Peter Bagshaw The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.